This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. In this 90-minute conversation, I tried to dissect one of the most well-known and well-respected, but also most misunderstood people in the youth soccer development landscape. Tom Beyer, who is the author of the new book, Soccer Starts at Home, has a very simple message that he really tries to hammer home, not only in this episode, but every time that he talks to the media, whether it's a podcast or HBO or Sports Illustrated, anybody, it doesn't matter. He really tries to hammer home this very simple message. And that message is that he thinks kids should be comfortable with a ball at their feet before they entered the traditional team training environment. And he believes that parents can start the player development process long before the kids sign up for their first team experience. It's, it's, his message is really that simple. You're going to hear him talk more about it, but it, it, it just boils down to, to that. Uh, a recent tweet from Tom reads, there are 23.7 million families in the U.S. with kids under the age of six years old. Start with these young families and create a culture of understanding centered around the importance of kids learning the basics for the game. Teach this before organized play and watch what happens. End quote. So Tom has been in the business of player development for over two decades with uh, emphasis on younger kids. And when I say younger kids, I'm talking about the ages of like zero to eight. And the bulk of his uh, experience now or work now has been taking place in Asia. Tom lives in Japan. He has some very unique roles there, and he also has a very unique role in China as well. And you'll hear him talk about both of those. Um, but Tom recently ran a pilot program here in the United States with U.S. soccer in Washington. And that program has seemed a bit mysterious to a lot of people that aren't intimately involved with Tom or with U.S. soccer, or with U.S. soccer, sorry, or, or with the project itself. So Tom wanted to put a lot of those rumors to rest. And that, that was a big reason for wanting to come on this podcast and talk to me about, about that, um, We've been trying to get this episode recorded for quite a while. We actually uh, did a test run and my equipment went bad, so we had to we had to throw that away, which was a bummer. But uh, it helped me better prepare for this conversation that I had with Tom, and uh, it, it was it was exciting to get him on the show for a second time. Tom actually joined me for one of my original podcast episodes. Uh, you can find that on three four three coaching dot com. And you can find links to all of Tom's work, so his social media profiles, his website, where you can buy his book, all kinds of stuff. You can find all of that at 343coaching.com. And just a reminder that this episode and all of the 343 podcast episodes are brought to you by 343coaching.com, specifically the coaching education programs, which I'll talk more about in a second. Um, But... uh, on 343coaching.com, you can find over 200 written articles, videos, ebooks, more podcasts like this one, and you can find our coaching education programs. So you can sign up for the, the free seven week course that gives you an introduction to the possession based methodology that we that we preach here at 343. And we also offer a premium course, which is made up of multiple phases and takes a way deeper dive into the 343 possession-based methodology. I don't think that's ever going to be easy for me to say, but 
uh, takes a way deeper dive into our methodology. And I want to stop right there and say thank you to all of the founding members, all the 343 coaching education program founding members. The founding members are just wrapping up phase four and are getting ready to roll into phase five. So a big, huge thank you for being with 343 for going on five years now. It's amazing. I've, I've, I've been part of that journey as well. And I can't even begin to think about what it was like four years ago before all this stuff got started. It, it's been a, it's been a total transformation for me. And I'm sure that many other people have, have gone through that as well. Uh, so a big, huge thank you to the founding members. And of course, thank you to all the 343 family, whether you're part of the free program or the premium program, or even if you're just a Twitter follower or, or listener of the podcast, uh, maybe you're on the fence, but you haven't joined yet. Just, just thank you for being part of the 343 family. And, and we appreciate you guys. Um, Towards the end of the conversation, uh, I thought this was kind of funny, and I made a note to, to throw it in here in the intro. Uh, towards the end of the conversation, you're you're going to hear Tom actually mention that he signed up, and he is part of the 343 family. Uh, he signed up for the free seven-week course, and he said, and I quote, you will learn more by watching one or two of their videos than you might learn in any full-time course. <laughs> so that was uh, that was cool to hear Tom say. And uh, you'll hear him say more about why he signed up and why he likes uh, the 343 program that he signed up for. Uh, if you enjoy this podcast, do me a favor and leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening. I would greatly appreciate that as well. And enough of this intro. Let's get on with it. I am super excited for you to listen to my conversation uh, with Tom Byer. Enjoy. Yep, I'm talking now. I'm sitting at my table in my dining room, having just finished breakfast. My kids are out the door. It's 8.15 in the morning on a Friday here. Perfect. Been a bit right. cold. Japan. <laughs> All right, cool, man. Well, everything <laughs> sounds good. It sounds ten million times better than the last time we tried to record. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's nothing worse than if you got a bad connection, huh? No. Hey, and it, it might sound weird <clears throat> to you. I don't. I don't know if it does or not. But yeah. uh, my audio to you is going through my cell phone, and then I'm recording my audio into a microphone. So if it sounds weird to you, just know that it's going to turn out okay when when it gets released. Well, so far so good. It sounds it sounds perfect now. Cool. Um, so no problem, no sweat. All right, man. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's do round. I don't know, round three or four. What is this now? <laughs> yeah, I think it is. Maybe it's round three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no sweat. So you've uh, you've been you've been really active lately on uh, on social media, and I've I've kept a closer eye on it now even more. Uh, that I knew that we were going to be recording uh, another episode. Um, and w one of the first questions, actually, I, I wanted Great. to ask you was, uh, <laughs> what what is the most frustrating part of, of being on social media for you right now? Because I can see you kind of going through the same messages 
every single day, multiple times per day. So what, what are some of the more frustrating things that you're having to deal with right now? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And I've often been scratching my head about that with social media. What it is is that certain people engage. Um, I mean, I, I'm pretty, I've got about 7,000 followers. Um, and I think a majority of the people who, you know, you, you in, on social media, you basically kind of have your core followers. Um, and then you've got the retweets that other people, your followers have retweeted or reposted. Um, and they end up, you know, on the screen of someone that doesn't, probably uh know the whole picture or at least the whole philosophy of of what i'm uh what i'm doing so they come and they they take out and they extrapolate you know maybe one tweet that they've seen um and they don't get the context uh correct so for example i'll give you a great example just just even in this last 24 hours cycle is someone in scotland who basically thinks that um that I'm, he he saw he saw a video of, of that I put on on uh, Twitter. It was a, a three or four second clip um, that was actually my son um, doing a, 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 you know a, a pretty unique kind of technical skill during a game, and he wanted to have a go at me saying, "Well, this isn't proof of anything because you didn't show the whole clip of what's happening before or after what happened." But the reality is that regardless of of what happened after that 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 highlighted of brilliance that I showed of a turn um that wasn't the important thing the important or the important part was is that kids that from a very young age are in an environment that they're they're encouraged to be able to try new things um during games that's i mean that's what what every coach would would love right is that kids are actually trying things to try to solve problems during games um without being hit over the head for trying them so i mean it's just a little tiny one but it's it's frustrating because you know i'm the kind of guy that i answer 99.9 percent of any challenge that someone asks me about (laughs) i've noticed that too as you as i think as i think most of the followers know i mean you've got to see the amount of direct messaging that i get to my twitter account or uh from facebook or on linkedin and I'd say that I answer 99.9% of those, okay, which takes a lot of my time out to do it. But I think, okay, well, if people want to ask me things and they want to get a deeper learning uh, of what I'm trying to think. I mean, I've done, as you know, John, probably, I mean, I have done so many interviews. I've done podcast interviews. I'd say I've done easily 20. And I'm talking in-depth ones like I'm doing with you right now. At least 20 in the last probably you know, tw- you know, 12 months to, to, tw- to 24 months. I mean, I, I get a ridiculous amount of attention from the media um, from all over the world, whether it's Time Magazine, whether it's BBC television, um, whether it's 442, whether it's the Financial Times, whether it's the NBC, whether it's ESPN, whether it's Sports Illustrated. I mean, I'm putting it out there over and over and over again so to come back to the original question, well, what what's frustrating about it is when someone doesn't do their homework and I put it out there a million times and then they take it out of context and they try to spin it to a narrative that fits their their you know way of thinking, um, then that's pretty frustrating. I want to try to maybe address exactly what you're trying to do or the message that you're trying to get across to everybody because there, there seems to be a hang-up 
in that as well. And so let me let me let me take a stab at it really quick. You're you're advocating sure. for players to have some type of technical uh, competency before they get to the team environment. And, and you're advocating that the parents should be a big part of that, uh, should be a big part of that process, and that there are steps that the parents and the players can take before they get to that first team setting. Is that somewhat right? Yeah, basically what I'm saying is, is that te- technical skill acquisition happens, first of all, at a much, much earlier age than everybody thought. I believe that football or soccer has not caught up with what science knows already. And that is that the skill acquisition happens much earlier. That's, that's one big, big point. If you look at the national curriculums, which I've read most of them that, that are out there, you'll find that the first time that a kid comes on a radar screen is between the ages of six and nine. They call it the discovery phase. They build the characteristics, which I think they miss, they get wrong, of a, of a six to nine-year-old where they say they lack motor skills, they're clumsy, short attention span, blah, blah, blah. So right there in, is the beginning of the problem, is that between federations believe that between six and nine, that not a lot of technical skill uh, acquisition can happen. They think it's like from nine, ten and above. So that's a major difference. So what I'm saying, so what I'm saying is, is that, no, you've gotten that wrong. I've challenged it. Okay. I've gotten a lot of data that supports what I'm saying, that skill acquisition happens at a much, much earlier age, which I put into my book, Football or Soccer start, Starts at Home. So that's a major part to understanding of where I'm coming from uh, to address to address the problem. And then what I'm saying, too, is that if you look at the very strong countries in the world that produce the best players, they produce the, the strongest teams, they have more or less a lock on, on the world stage of World Cup tournaments at many different ages, you'll find that what happens is, is that skill acquisition and the development of technical skills is happening in a, a much more open, free environment where there is no specific or specialized training going on at those very, very young ages. What's happening is is that the cultures are conducive to developing players. So if you understand that and you understand and you accept that, first of all, skill acquisition can happen at a much earlier age, then the conclusion can only be that that's probably going to happen before the child enters into organized play. So if you accept that fact as well, then you have to understand, well, then if there's going to be any kind of technical skills learned from a very, very young age, then that's more likely going to happen at home from a father, from a mother, from a brother, from a cousin, from an uncle, from a friend, from someone else. So that's the whole thing. That's the whole gist of the, of, of the whole philosophy. So what I'm saying is, is that in America, in the United States, we don't have a truly footballing or soccer culture like a lot of these other key countries that do very well. We don't have that. So, so soccer doesn't start at home most often, and if it does, it starts with the wrong with, with the wrong approach, because most people believe that it's a kicking game. They believe that you know when you watch games. I have people send me videos constantly. I mean, I watched games when I'm whether I'm in the states or, or in all of the 22 different countries that I've been very fortunate enough to work. So I watch a lot of football. So when you watch the very very young kids playing, and it's more that kick and rush. You can hear on the sidelines the parents cheering for them. It, that's the culture that we've created. Now, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to shed some, shine some light on, well, what, what is the golden age for skill acquisition? Or at least, let's not even call it golden age. Just what's the age that kids are best taught 
these technical skills. And then again, because I'm 57 years old, I've been in the game for a long time. Uh, here in Japan, I ran one of the biggest football school, commercial schools, perhaps in the world, where we've had, you know, to today, fast forward, there's over 110 schools, there's over 25,000 kids in them. I started working in, in that space back in, in the 1990s, early 1990s. So I started noticing, again, I, use some, I throw out some of these terms where I've, the, the reason I've been able to connect many of the dots is because I'm looking backwards all the time. I'm looking at what I've done in the past. What, is, what, what have I done over the last 30 years of my career? I've been out on the pitch standing with five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year olds for, for almost two decades. Uh, I, I've seen what it's like for a child to get dropped off at our schools that has never kicked the ball or never touched the ball or never learned to control the ball um, before they stepped, <clears throat> before they crossed over that line into our school. I've also seen that we inherited, we usually inherit the best players. By the time a kid comes to our school, some of them are already very, very, very good technically. So how can I claim that I've developed that player when I've just inherited that player? Now, can we make the players better? Yes. But this whole idea and concept of how does skill acquisition take place? Who's responsible for it? What is the age group? So, again, you know, a long-winded uh, answer to your question. <laughs> but unless you really quite understand the whole thing and also where I come from, what's my background? Okay, I'm American, so of course I grew up at least in the early age, my early ages in American soccer. So I, I have a quite good understanding about it. But I've also been fortunate enough to travel around the world and get in front of, you know, 50 technical directors from Europe or been invited to some of the biggest club teams in the world um, or federations, or I've been able to present my ideas to some of the biggest names in the football world. So from all of this, these are some of the conclusions that this is my, this is my frame of reference, my frame of reference of being able to throw these ideas out to some of the, the best in the world, or at least people who are entrusted with developing the game um, and I've been able to come to some of these conclusions. So if I haven't confused anybody uh, with what I've just said now, <laughs> or if I have confused anybody, here it is. I, I call it the elevator pitch. The whole thing is that before the kid crosses over the line into organized play, which is usually around six years of age in first grade, if he or she has some level of technical competency, being able to stop, start, turn, change direction, dribble, pass the cone without knocking it down, transferring the ball from the right foot to the left foot, being able to do a simple one-two wall pass without overrunning the ball or arriving late to the ball. I mean, then that kid is well on their way to being a successful player. But what happens is more often than not is that the kid that gets dropped off to his first practice, this kid knows absolutely, has absolutely no technical skills whatsoever. And then it turns into a, a, a kick and rush game. And then, to make matters worse, because football or soccer is a hit or a miss, depending upon where you live, is going to depend upon the quality of the coaching you live you, you have. If you live in a certain area, you might have a really good coach. But more often than not, kids are being coached by volunteers. So here's another one of, here, here, here's another one of my kind of comparisons. Here's what happens. If you get the kid by six or seven years of age, who's pretty technically competent, and you put that boy or girl with a coach 
that is less able, that's inexperienced, maybe a father or a mother that knows nothing about football, that kid will usually flourish. That kid will usually be okay. He's not going to be harmed too much, okay, from what's going to happen. He will or she will will develop to a certain degree up until the ages of maybe 11 or 12 years age. It's the kid that has absolutely no technical ability or competency that then gets coupled or puts on the team with the coach, the parent, the mother, the father, the volunteer, whoever, that knows nothing about the game. That's the kid that's in trouble. That's the kid that when, again, you look backwards and you, 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 look, you connect the dots and you hear those staggering statistics, alarming statistics, that 38.5% of the kids that play in America quit by the age of seven and another 50% quit by the age of 10. It's not hard to figure out why. And, you know, that's the reality of it. And it's not just in the States. It's in many, many other countries. I just read a big report out of Ireland um, that is just the, st- the statistics are so alarming of the percentage of kids that can't catch a ball or that can't run backwards. I mean, it's unbelievable. So anyway, that's my, uh, my, uh, my long, long-winded answer to your short question. <laughs> no, um, and actually, the the interview that we uh, that we conducted that actually we we ended up uh, throwing in the trash, I, it prepared me uh, for your long winded answers, and it kind of helped me narrow down some questions and some topics that I think other people are going to be interested in as well. And one of those things is that your your book, Soccer Starts at Home, is by the way, it, it's a it's a great book. It's an easy read. It's 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 short and it's to the point kind of like your like your pitch actually so like your elevator pitch that you just did it's it's to the point there's it's no nonsense and it should be in in my mind it should be easy for people to grasp onto and and one of the things that we talked about last time was that a lot of times coaches or parents or, or somebody whoever is going to pick up your book or listen to one of your podcasts or, or some of your work they're looking for some type of a recipe and that recipe doesn't really exist in in your book or in any of the stuff that you that you do any of your media that you do because it, it's not really a recipe it's it's honestly it's, it's that simple that if you get these kids technically competent before the age of like six or you know you, you introduce them to some of these technical skills it sets them up for success it's, it's a very easy concept yeah exactly I mean, you know, and then you've got this whole dynamic of people saying about the specialized training and I mean it's almost endless, you know, I mean, isolated training, uh, all these buzzwords, I mean, that, that, you know, that, uh, are, are really just different words for, for words that have already existed before. I mean, you know, this whole, this whole idea that, um, that isolated training, I mean, first of all, okay. I mean, maybe some of your listeners don't know what isolated training is. It's just practice on your own. I mean, but now we've, 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 we've gravitated <laughs> now to developing these, these buzzwords that it's isolated training and it's become like such a bad word. I mean, really? I mean, you're going to tell me that a kid playing with a ball by themselves, whatever it is they want to do, them deriving pleasure of practicing on their own. I mean, who's to tell a kid if they want to take a ball and, 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 you know, try to master that ball, whether it's doing it in their living room, doing it out on the playground that they can't do that. I mean, these are these are so ridiculous. Some of these these uh, these arguments that that people are, are having. Now, what it is is, I think that that, that they they kind of get it, but they don't really elaborate on it. I think that especially when you talk about 
isolated training at like the really, really older age. And here, here's one that I've never talked about. You know, one of the reasons, okay, when you look at coaches' education, coaches' education worldwide has basically been managed, let's say, maybe that's the wrong word to use, or at least the biggest proponents or the biggest exporters, let's say, of coaches' education are three countries, man. That's Germany, Holland, and England for many, 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 many years. Those three countries, and the reason I say that is because when you travel around the world and you see over the last, you know, 30 or 40 years, most of the technical directors, a lot of the um, uh, foreign coaches, when you go around and you see these federations and you see who the technical directors are and who these people are, they usually have at least, it's changed quite a bit these days, but they usually will come from those three countries. Those are the three countries that have been exporting uh, or have taken the lead for football education around the world. Clearly in the United States, it's been like that for, for, for in the beginning ages. Here in Japan, the same thing. China, Indonesia, India, Australia, Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore. So these are countries that I work in. So you can see who they gravitate to, what, what cultures, what countries. And what I think's happened is, is that, you know, football has evolved significantly over the years. Now, you know, it's like, it's like the flavor of the month. You know, I mean, for, for, for in the 90s, everybody thought, okay, well, you know, in the, in the, or in the, let's go with the 80s. Um, I mean, you could go with almost any decade. You know, it's like it was a Brazilian way, Argentinian way. You know, then in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, in the mid uh, 90s, it was the French way because, you know, the French won the World Cup in 98. They won the Euro in 2000. So everybody's scrambling out there to try to get a French technical director. Okay. Then the Spanish won the World Cup. You know, uh, Barcelona comes on the scene, uh, Tiki Taka, Rondos. So all of a sudden, it's the Spanish way. So then you find here, out here in Asia, you got the, everybody's trying to scramble to get the Spanish guy. Then it's the, uh, and there's always been Dutch coaches out here as well. Dutch influence in, 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 in many of the countries, many technical directors over uh, the last decades or two have been exported out here to Asia. In India, in Australia, uh, Indonesia, uh, even in China. In many, many different countries, you'll, you'll find that. And now you get people gravitating to Belgium because it's a country that's, that's punching above its weight. Well, of course, well, you know, they've only got, you know, excellent, you know, such a population. How could they be doing so well? So let's bring the Belgium guy in. Now you even hear about, well, let's bring an Icelander guy. I mean, it's just like endless. <laughs> but, you know, the whole thing is, is that, you know, you know I'm, I'm not kidding you. This, this is what it is. This is football. This is how it's evolved. It's the flavor of the month. It's who's doing well at that time um, to see, you know, what that influence is. And you'll see that countries will go sometimes a whole cycle for a decade and they'll try to do it the French way or the Dutch way or the Spanish way or the German way. You know, it's just the endless the, the, with the, the, different, um, the different ways of, of thinking uh, of, of football. But what I say is no matter what way that you, you believe that the game should be taught, the technical side of the game is the is is the DNA. That's the that's the DNA of a player. That's the that's the part that I don't think you can really assign any particular culture behind you know technical development. Um, and maybe I'm I'm not explaining it well. But what I'm saying is is that there's only one way, or very few ways. You know, I, I wouldn't say two. There's one way that you can stop and start and dribble in a straight line and change direction with the ball, or that you can you can turn or cut. 
or that you can, you know, do a scissors move or whatever move it is that you're talking about, any kind of technical um, a skill that you're trying to 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 teach. Um, and, and that's the that's the I guess the nuts and bolts of it. And I think that's the area that we're that I'm trying to, you know, uh, educate people about is that regardless of the system, the tactic, the way that you're going to organize, uh, the way that you're going to tactically line up or your system, that that's fine. You can take what best practices come from other countries. But the reality is, is that a little five, six, seven, eight, nine year old, if they don't master those technical skills um, by those early ages, um, then the best coaches in the world um, you can put those kids with. And I find, at least my experience is, is that, yeah, of course, you, you, you're going to improve maybe kids to a certain degree, but you're not going to start producing special players like a lot of the, the big countries that do pr- uh, develop those players. You're not going to produce them at those large numbers. Hence, you know, a country like America that's got half the population of Europe. So, you know, the question is always, where are those players? Where are those more of those Landon Donovan type players? Where are those Colby Jones? Where are those, you know, Pulisic or Clint Dempsey? If you, you know, if you accept that those are the top end guys that have played in the United States, well, where are more of those kind of players or even better players than them? Um, and I say they don't exist, or at least we don't make them in, in large numbers. Um, but, you know, the approach is, is that, well, it must be a coaching problem. So let's create more coaching courses. Let's create more, you know, content. Uh, let's let's create more elite uh, player path development. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's endless, man. It's endless. But you know, when you look at those great countries, they don't have, you know, they don't approach the game in this systematic, academic, scientific approach. But yet they produce the best players. There, there's something that I I didn't plan to bring up, but I'm I'm, I'm going to because of something that you that you said. And I'm going to preface with this though. So, what you what you've especially lately, you, you haven't been advocating at all, saying that you that coaches should be adopting this and implementing this into you know professional systems or the U18 or U16 level. You've really been adamant in saying that this is for like these ideas are solely for you know zero to six years old or zero to eight years old, and you're really trying to hammer home the fact that just give these kids technical exercises to do before they get introduced to the team environment. And and that's all you've been saying. And I, I've been keeping a kind of a, a really close eye on this. And then there was somebody that kind of went at you, uh, who I've had on my show before. And he, he used a, a, the same exact term to describe everything else in coaching education that you did. And, and that was flavor of the month. So when I had Raymond Verheijen on my show, he, he mentioned, that everybody kind of just gets, you know, all googly eyed over the flavor of the month. And so when you said that, it, it, it kind of, it made me think that you and Raymond have very similar ideas and that there's a disconnect between like that super young age group, which you're advocating for. And then he's really on kind of like the professional, the higher end of things. Um, and so maybe, I don't know, <laughs> just respond to that, I guess. How 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 do you handle something sure. like that with, with, with a guy like Raymond that comes at you? Well, because first of all, I've I've always had the, the most deepest respect for Raymond and what he does. Um, I've read his books. I haven't been on his courses, but I think I have a pretty good understanding of what he does. Um, he's very good at what he does, um, and I've done my homework. So, like I said, I've read his books. I've seen lots of his talks. Um, I've listened to his interviews. 
Um, I've recommended Raymond to professional clubs here in Japan. Um, and it was, it's, it's very, very disappointing that Raymond probably has absolutely no idea what I do. I would be surprised if he's ever read any articles about me or any of the interviews that I've done. Um, I don't consider Raymond an expert in uh, teaching young kids. I, I would be very shocked or surprised to hear if he's had any, if at all, experience actually standing on the pitch with uh, five, six, seven, eight, nine-year-old kids. Um, the unfortunate thing is, is that if Raymond actually sat down and, and saw my presentation, he would probably, or read the book, he'd probably be one of my biggest supporters. Um, and I'll be honest about it. Some of his guys reached out to me that were incredibly embarrassed and called me on the phone. Some of them actually came out to meet me. I won't say where. Uh, to apologize because they understand in much more detail what it is that I'm doing, um, and he doesn't. Um, I mean, we could talk about this in, in greater length. I mean, the good news is is that a guy like Raymond isn't the focus of my work. I don't need to convince a guy like him of what we're doing, and that's why I do, getting back to your question of, well, why do I fo I focus? Yeah, I, I'm focusing on speaking to parents um, because what, what we're doing to me, for me, is a disruption in football development. Because what I'm saying is you don't need to put your young child with a highly skilled, experienced, uh, educated coach um, in order to teach them the technical skills for starting the game or beginning the game, um, which I think is the game changer and the determination of whether that kid is going to either stay in the game or get out of it, um, or whether that kid is going to be very successful and want to just continue playing the game. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not really interested in focusing on the, the older age groups. I'm not really interested in focusing on coaches who coach the older age groups. Um, yes, would I like to have most coaches on board and understand what it is that we're trying to do? Sure. But it's not that, it's not that, it's not an urgency for me. Um, my urgency is to put me in a room with several hundred parents that have kids between the ages of zero and five or six years of age. Um, so that's, I don't know, that's, that's basically where, where I see it. Um, but again, you know, it's like asking Raymond to come in and comment on the work that I do. It's like asking a plumber to come in and fix your electric. I don't think he knows. He doesn't have a clue. <laughs> and I found that a majority, I found that a majority of, of, um, of coaches, senior coaches, and I'm talking about technical directors of some of the biggest federations in the world, I'm talking about technical directors of some of the confederations in the world. I'm talking about senior elite coaches that have worked decades in professional clubs in Europe. And many of them have little to no idea uh, about coaching young kids. They don't know. They don't understand it. And when they see the really, really good kid that's at six or seven years of age, they think that lightning is struck in a bottle. And they, they, they don't understand it. And I, I, only I can understand this and say this because – I've interacted with these people. I've shown the presentations. I've shown the phases of development of what you could expect a two or a three-year-old to do with a ball at the feet. Raymond would have no clue of what a child would be able to do with a ball at three or four or five. But what's the difference between what a three-year-old can do and what a six-year-old can do? And what's the difference between a six-year-old can do and an eight-year-old can do? So unfortunately, he got some bad info or he didn't do his own homework, which is surprising, especially for a guy who seems to try to be such a perfectionist and he, uh, uh, you know, demands that perfectionism and also uh, organization uh, is a big part of his whole thing. 
where he chastises people and sometimes in his lectures for not doing their homework or understanding or, or, or not being disciplined. But yet he didn't go out of his way to try to figure out what it is that I'm doing. And he made some off-cuff silly remarks that I think he got hammered on in social media about. So that's, that's my two cents on it. Yeah, I just I found it uh, kind of ironic that that you use the word flavor of the month, and that was one of the things that Raymond and I spent a lot of time on too. And I, I, I the intention of of bringing that up was not to you know put you guys in, in another feud or anything like that. So I don't want you to think that. But I just I I found it ironic that somebody that works in the professional side of the game, and when I say professional, I mean like Raymond's capacity working with the national teams and you know the the, the highest levels of the, of the men's game, and then somebody like you who who's also a professional, but focusing efforts on the younger side of the game so ages yeah four five six seven eight and you guys both had that same idea that there's this flavor of the month mentality that exists all over the world and so there's two things that i think are are key to highlight there is that it's not just happening in america it's happening all over the world and it's happening at all levels so it's happening at the you know the youngest ages and in the the highest levels of, of the professional game too that people are still changing to the flavor of the month there too. I've been using that term for decades. I would imagine if you search back to some of my, some of my interviews, I've been using that word flavor of the month for many, many years. I've written many, many interviews as well. And again, just to, 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 to be, um, you know, uh, not misunderstand what I'm talking about is that flavor of the month of people gravitating to which is, is the best way or what's the best model for developing, you know, whether it's coaches, whether it's players, whether it's uh, uh, organizing a federation, or whether it's uh, national teams or on the professional game, the flavor of the month of just always going back and forth of, you know, it's the Dutch way, it's the Spanish way, it's the Belgian way, the French way, the Italian way, whatever way it is. So yeah, I've, I've been using that for for uh, for a long time. So one of the things that you mentioned. Uh, just a second ago, is that one of the one of the goals that you have is to just get as many parents as you can in one room, and, and for you to just to to lay it all out on the line for them. But you've also you, you've said that you've been in the room with you know technical directors and and you know World Cup winners and and things like that. How does that message change yep. when you when you when you switch from you know being in the room with these people that are you know operating at the highest levels of the game versus somebody who's a new just a a, a new parent a, a a new parent in the game. What, what, what changes about your message there? Doesn't change. It, 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 it doesn't change at all. It's the same blurge. It's the same passion. It's the same message. It's the same presentation. It's the same videos. It's the same optics. It's all the same. And I've told people before, I give the same presentation to the taxi driver that will listen to me in a car from the airport <laughs> to the hotel that I would give if I had the technical director of one of the biggest federations sitting next to me. That's the reality of it doesn't change and it doesn't have to change and what i find is is that people uh, there, there's such a lack of understanding of how kids develop that's the that's the reality of it man that's the reality of it. and that's why again looking backwards you can connect the dots why there's only a handful of countries that dominate this game on a world on a world scale and other countries are trying to play catch up all the time. Other countries are spending millions of dollars trying to unlock that mystery on how do you develop players, how do you develop teams, um, and they miss the point. Um, you know, I, I get I get a lot of feedback, and I get, you know, it's so funny because getting back to the social the social media thing, it's always funny because 
you're always asked the questions or it's always brought up the negative parts of like, you know, someone's taking a task. Let me tell you, my inbox is filled with 90% are, are, are people that are coming to me. You know what they're saying? Keep up the good fight. You know, this is a fight worth winning. Um, keep up the message. I'm so glad I found you on Twitter. Blah, 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 blah. Those, those so far outnumber the negative messages that I get. But yeah, people get caught up on the sensationalism of, you know, well, this guy had a go at you. This guy had a challenge at you. Yeah, but that's one guy out of the like 80 other messages that I got that day of people saying, get it. And that's one of the reasons, you know, the me- I'll tell you what, like I say, too, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's easier. It's easier to, to change. You know, it's easier to work with people that know nothing about the game than it is to work with people that know something about the game, but they've got a bit of a closed mind. That's the reality of it. You know, I mean, you know, if I get any, if anybody really kind of, you know, takes me or challenges me um, in anything, usually that's going to be probably some coach that's going to be, you know, somehow these, a coach feels threatened or diminished importance in their role of, you know, trying to develop players. I mean, that's basically what it is. Other than that, the, the majority of feedback that I get, um, I, I mean, I, I you know, I, not to try to be, you know, play any games here, but I received a message this week from one of the biggest football federations on planet Earth. One of the biggest. I'm not saying it obvious for obvious reasons, because what I'm going to tell you is important. And that person who's in, in, in a very high position or, or um, position of influence in one of the biggest federations um, has been talking with me back and forth about these concepts of football starts at home, addressing the under sixes, um, addressing that importance of the, the engagement of a parent and a child um, who sent me a message this week telling me finally that they think that it's the right timing uh, to present something to their FA. Um, so I, I just, you know, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to give you some glimpses into, you know, what, what the kind of communications and the feedback that I get which is just a, an overwhelming positive response from everybody that I speak with and I present to, you know, so that's really kind of what, what keeps me going as well. Um, it's not, uh, you know, uh, you know, a guy like Raymond that makes an off the cuff remark. He doesn't, I mean, if I, <laughs> the reality is, is that, you know, he, he, he's, he's made, he's made some comments that were just so preposterous, so silly. And it just goes to show that, you know, again, like I said, people just don't do their homework. They do their homework, and they come and they come in a respectful manner. I'm happy to have a dialogue with anybody, you know, but uh, enough said about that, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know if you would remember, but the, the the first interactions that you and I had were actually me having to go at you. Do, do you remember that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I sure so, do. But, you know, and, 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 and I think, as you know, as well, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I very rarely at least have a big, well, I try to make people understand. I think I'm more tolerant nowadays than I was before, but usually when I have people have a go at me, I'll send them a DM and I'll say, Hey, let me send you my book, which I pay out of my own pocket to ship. And I, and I send it to them because what it is that people just don't understand what it is, um, the whole picture. And at this point, you know, right now it gets a bit frustrating because I've done so many interviews like I'm doing today, or I've been, you know, it's just all out there. It's all out there. Um, so, you know, if you really want to dig in, you, if you really want to try to challenge somebody on something, then you need to go and do your homework and make sure that you understand what that person's point of view is so that you can come back and make an intelligent argument. 
But the reality is, is that there's there's very rarely what is there to argue about what we're saying? I don't I don't get it. So the people who do try to put up an argument, um, they don't know what it is. They don't they don't understand. They don't have a deep understanding. They've never read the book. They have not probably read a full article or had a conversation with me. They've seen some kind of soundbite that someone reposted or regurgitated on Twitter. Okay, well, really? And then you find out normally they're not even following you. Yeah, it is. And I get those. And when I look at, you know, as soon as someone challenges, they ask me something, if I don't recognize my look and I see, and usually nine out of 10 times, they don't follow me. So they've just found some little thumb. But like right now, even today, I'm going back and forth with some guy here from Scotland who is just asking me question after question. I mean, this takes up my time. If you were to go and do a little bit more homework, but this guy is so set I'm trying to de- to debunk what I'm saying. <laughs> it's like it's just I got to scratch my head and think. Well, what am I doing? Well, what, what 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 am I wasting my time? With these guys. Some of these people, you will never change. It's like the world is flat. You know, I mean, the world is definitely flat. It's not round. I mean, there's some people like that, and you just got to kind of you know <laughs> scratch your head a little bit and move on. Pick pick you, your fights. You know. <laughs> do you ever do you ever listen to the Joe Rogan podcast by any chance? Which one? Who? Joe Rogan. Yeah, the guy from the uh, from the um, the mixed martial arts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got I follow him on Twitter. If that's the same guy that you're talking about, that's um, yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. I mean, I I follow him. Uh, you know, I don't listen to him constantly, but uh, I have heard some of his uh, some of his exchanges. I'd say. Yeah, the the reason why I bring it up is well, two reasons I guess is because he talks a lot about his interactions with his fans or people that follow him, and people are always trying to 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 go at him on on social media or or prove him wrong or something like that. And um, and, and then the other thing too is that he loves talking about flat earthers. <laughs> and so I thought that was funny when you when you brought that up. It just oh my gosh, some, some people you're just never going to change their mind. And you're absolutely right, what? and you can't you cannot waste your time dealing with those people. It's just it's impossible. Yeah, I mean it's. But again, like I, like I said though, the problem, John, is that we tend to get caught too much up in in these things. I mean, there are very few people. I mean, that's the reality of it. Exactly. There are very very few people that are that are doing this. But you know, it makes for good talk. It makes for good banner. Um, but the reality is, is I don't get a lot of these. It's, you know, I, I really don't. I mean, I'm just I'm inundated with parents and coaches. Um, with positive messages, really. Yeah, that's and that's awesome to hear. And, and we we get a lot of the same stuff too. And and it, and it it really does suck that the, the negative stuff is is where people tend to focus. And like I said, I I did not intend to to go that direction with with this interview. It's just it, it was funny to me that you that you mentioned flavor of the month and that and it stood out immediately that I remembered Raymond had had used that term as well. Um, but the the reason why we uh. We wanted to record something else too. I actually ran into you in New York City a little more than a month ago, and it was just a, a brief meeting, our first time that we actually got a chance to meet in person, which was awesome, um, even even though it was so short. But uh, you you were out there filming some stuff with uh, with HBO, and and you had kind of just wrapped up, I think, um, some work here in the United States, which is not your normal place of work from, from what I understand. And you just, you just finished a program here in the United States and 
you wanted a chance to kind of explain what that program actually was because I think there was a little bit of confusion of, of what you were actually doing here with uh, with our federation. I'm going to guess that, you, that that's not the big federation you were talking about a second ago just because you call them the FA and we don't we don't call ourselves the FA, so. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, well, here and again, this is not not to, not to beat the dead horse, but this was the this is what uh, what the what moved Raymond into making a comment. Again, this is the guy didn't he didn't do his homework. He didn't realize he has no idea. He thinks I was hired by U.S. Soccer to come in and change and 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 like save the country because they failed it from 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 qualifying for the World Cup. Nothing is further from the truth. First of all. This plan to run the pilot program in Seattle was hatched over one year ago. And over one year ago, I'm pretty sure that America thought they were going to the World Cup. Okay? That's one thing. So the plan to do this pilot program was hatched back in 2017 in December, a year ago. So that's number one. Number two, the pilot program started in June. Okay? The U.S. failed to qualify. That wasn't until when was that? Uh, what which which month was it? it, it October. October. The, the, the U.S. Oh, yeah, October. Okay, so here I start the program in June. So here was the here's the disconnect that everybody got wrong. Okay, is that they thought that I was brought in to save U.S. soccer because the failed World Cup, uh, the game that they lost to Trinidad, because U.S. soccer waited a couple of months to announce to make the announcement so here it is here's the scoop okay that nobody knows here here it is we'll, we'll put it out on your show okay here's what it is <laughs> what happened was is that when when the when the u.s failed when the u.s failed to qualify i was inundated by a couple of journalists okay asking me to give comments on the u.s not qualifying and one or two of them asked the question was, well, well, why are you not doing anything in the United States? And all I can tell you is that that basically there was a little bit more urgency to put out that the program was going on because how can I? I would have had to go on to a, a, either a radio show or to, and I'm talking about a big publication, okay? I would have had to do an interview and either lie and say, no, I'm not doing anything with U.S. soccer when it already started. It was hatched a year ago, and I started the program already in June, and I'd already been out for one or two visits um, to Seattle to start the program. Um, so that's when we decided, well, maybe it's better to announce that the program started. But what happened is people got confused because then all the news uh, started breaking out. Grant Wall wrote an article. Um, then Soccer America wrote an article. Um, then, you know, uh, I was on a couple of big radio shows, all announced in the program. So it appeared that basically that the, the, the move to hire me or to do this pilot program was a kind of end all, you know, some kind of quick fix or some kind of fix to fix U.S. soccer. That's a bunch of baloney, man. It's a bunch of baloney. So that's <laughs> where the disconnect was. And that's where we got, a, that's where we got a guy like Raymond. Technical difficulties, real quick. I'm calling. I'm calling Tom back. Yeah, we got cut off there, huh? <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. I don't know if that was me or you, but I hope. I hope you can edit, huh? 
Yeah, yeah, I can edit. Or it'll be funny because it'll, it'll get the funny ringtone when I'm calling Japan. It's not the normal one, so. Okay. So, <laughs> so anyway, so anyway, again, I've never talked about this, but this is where this is where guys like Raymond and these guys they completely got it wrong, man. The guy didn't do his homework. He had no idea what he was talking about. He thought I was being brought into safe. The guy's completely wrong. Like I said, this thing was hatched a year ago, and I started it in June. And he thought, so that's where the disconnect is, man. That's where this, that's where, you know, I mean, it's uh, it's uh, it's unfortunate. But when people don't do their homework and they stick their nose into something that they have no idea about, you know, that's the reality of it. So that program has started. I'm not some big czar. You know, again, Raymond thinks that I'm like brought into, you know, these like magical powers that I'm taking over you. Uh, really? I'm doing a little tiny pilot program in one city on the West Coast, Northwest in Seattle. It's not even going to start until next next year, in March or April. It'll be evaluated. And then if it's got some wings, then it'll take off and maybe we'll do a second city. So, I mean, it just goes to show the, the ridiculousness when people make comments and stick their nose in business. They don't have any idea what they're talking about. <laughs> you know? uh, can, can you, can so, you talk so a little that, bit about what the, the story? What, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you talk yeah, a little bit about yeah, what the what sure. the program actually is? Yeah, sure. So what it is um, is that you know, if you look at in in most countries in the world, there's uh, three major stakeholders in the game. You've got the national governing body. Let's say, okay, for the U.S., it's U.S. soccer. You've got the professional game, MLS, and then you've got the youth component. Now, America is a bit unique because we have several different youth associations, but let's you know accept that probably USYA or the state associations um, are the biggest. So you've got three. You've got three there. So the under six really doesn't fit into to, 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 to any of them, so to speak, because, again, um, this is a new segment that people haven't really had a lot of deep thought about. So what it is is that can we put this, again, catchphrase, soccer. I'm saying soccer because we're talking about the U.S. or football. Soccer starts at home. Well, what does that look like? Well, if you agree that, again, that, you know, there's an importance of parent and child engagement um, at a very young age. Well, then you have to figure out, well, well, who or what group do you need to hit your wagon to get that message out? Well, it makes sense. You've got a professional, you've got the professional teams um, like Seattle Sounders, uh, which is, you know, one of the more successful, I, I think everybody would agree, is one of the more successful th- teams uh, in, the, uh, in the MLS or in the States. Um, also, one of the reasons we set it in Seattle was because it's an easier gateway um, for me personally, because I live uh, in Japan and the West Coast is an easy, uh, you know, destination, Seattle. Um, and then you've got the state association. You've got the Washington State Association that has, you know, large numbers of kids that are registered in their program. And then you've got U.S. soccer that has to oversee it, has to govern. You know, they're, they're, they're the ones that basically have run with the program. So what I say is, is that what we're trying to do there is we're trying to be the, the glue, the stickiness that can bring these three organizations uh, together. Because usually, many times they're, they're opposed to each other or they're diametrically opposed and they're not really on the same sheet of, 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 of music, let's say, uh, playing the same song. So can we bring together the MLS club, Seattle, who's got, you know, marketing partners, they've got communications, they've got, you know, media partners, they, they, they've got a big voice. Um, so it's really who's got the biggest megaphone to be able to champion this whole idea of soccer starts at home. 
Um, so that's what we're doing. So we're basically working together to figure out, okay, well, how can we all use all of our different resources um, and mobilize um, and come out with that message that soccer starts at home and get it out to as many people as possible. And that's basically what it is. So I've made a couple trips out there. My first trip was I had to go out there and convince people that this is a program worth getting behind, um, which we did with the Seattle Sounders. We're very fortunate because they've taken it and really ran with it. They love the idea and the concept. We've got the <clears throat> full support of the Washington State Association behind it as well, um, because already you know they've got you know they've got numbers already of kids and families that are registered. Well, some of those families have young kids that are that are very young. So we've got a <clears throat> excuse me a built-in um, audience already of parents. Um, and then you've got U.S. soccer adding some guidance and, you know, some uh, some leadership on uh, on how to bring everything together. So basically, I mean, in layman's terms, that's what it is. You know, it's nothing, nothing more, nothing less. Um, it's just, you know, who can who can get that word out and start <clears throat> and put a pilot program in place that could potentially be something that we might roll out in other countries. That's it, man. I'm not here to take over the country. I'm not here <laughs> traveling throughout the world. I'm not here to to write curriculums and set up coaching, you know, courses and and things like this, like some people have written and they think. So again, they haven't done their homework. They don't know what it is. And um, so that's why you know it's 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 I'm 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 happy to try to explain it to people when they ask me. I mean, I've pretty I've I've, I've explained it quite a bit um, to other journalists and things that have that have put it out. But um, it still doesn't, uh, you know, some people just don't get it. They don't understand it. And that's all it is. That's it. It's got to be frustrating for you to just to to just say the same things over and over and over and over again. It's, it's kind of it's got it's got to it's got to just make you wonder, right? Like, what am I doing? Yeah, it's not getting across. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. It's kind of funny. I mean, you know, I think it's just attention to detail. I mean, I think it, it has to do with. If you really are interested and really, really deep down want to know what it is that, that we're talking about, I mean, it's out there. I mean, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but if you just put my name, Tom Byer, and what, put a word in soccer or football and Google, I mean, you're going to get hundreds of articles. I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, I've done every I – I, I'm scratching my head to think of, like, what format, format have I not used, okay? I don't know anymore. I've done probably 20 podcasts. Um, I've done at least 100 interviews, I'd say, in the last couple of years. Easy. Um, and now, you know, I've been turbo, tur turbocharged by HBO television. Um, you know, so, you know, the biggest football magazines in the world, some of the biggest football journalists in the world. I mean, they've all gotten the story, um, you know, and, and that's the reality of it. But then, you know, you get the outlier guy that doesn't really know anything. And Anyway, enough said about that. I mean, again, like I said, it's <laughs> overall... Overall, this is a very, very positive experience for me. Yeah, very, very positive. Yeah, and it's, from everybody. It's... And and you know, the, one of the, one of the problems here. Actually, I'll address something that 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 I haven't addressed before. One of the problems I have now is is that we've created such awareness and such a buzz and such a demand, but there's no mechanism to really engage anything. I probably won't be in, back in the states until I don't even know when. Maybe February, March. So I've got people coming to me. I've got clubs. I've got clubs that have several thousand players in them. I mean, huge clubs in the United States. I've got associations. I've got several other MLS clubs coming to me as well, asking to partner and do things. But there's no mechanism. 
because I've got to sit back now and wait for that pilot program to play itself out, which will take several months. So, what do you mean? What do you, you know, mean by mechanism? What, what's what's the missing thing? What's well, the there's not. Well, well, well. You know, I'm I'm under I'm under contract with U.S. Soccer, so there's ah, okay. a there's a commercial element to it. Yeah. So you know, it's, it, it, I can't all of a sudden when we're getting ready to kick off a, a pilot program with the Seattle Sounders um, that's being put together, you know, by three different major organizations. I can't just all of a sudden run off to another club in 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 in, in the United States like MLS and start another program, <clears throat> right? So that's what I mean. Yeah, sorry that, but that that needs a little bit more expo- explaining. Um, so you know that's that's basically what it is. So it's a bit frustrating in that regard because of the the reaction, the positive reaction that I'm getting. I mean, basically every single day someone contacts me every day in a positive way. Saying and and I've been so accessible. I've basically been on so many phone calls with 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 clubs that have a hundred kids, or the clubs that have seven thousand kids, or associations, or just anybody that's contacted me. I've been very very accessible to them, and trying to help as many people as possible, um, which takes up a lot of my time um, to do. So you know I do it because I'm passionate about it, and I I I, I, try, I try to give my time to as many people as possible. But I think um, at this point, I'm, I'm kind of hitting a wall a little bit because I'm get, becoming a broken record. And I think at least in 2018, you might see a, a little bit of a different Tom Byer on Twitter, to be honest with you, because it's, it's basically I, I can't really supply uh, all of the people that are coming to me asking me questions, especially the ones that are kind of frivolous questions. Um, you know, and I just start feeling like I'm a broken record. So the people who, who do follow me quite closely and and are in touch and really understand what the philosophy is. I think some of them are really scratching their heads. Well, I know they are some of them because they DM me messages saying, "I can't believe these questions that you're getting." <laughs> but anyway, you know, it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of work. I mean, you know, it's a big country. Not just here, but you got to remember, John. I'm not just working for the U.S. I'm working. With, I've got programs going on and 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 dialogue going on with India, with China, with uh, uh, Australia. I've got certain even countries in Europe. I mean, so the U.S. is just one tiny part of our whole portfolio of what we do or what my organization or my company does. But it seems to be taking up a lot of the time um, (laughs) these days, or at least on social network. Yeah, Yeah, it's funny, man. Um, There was one thing I I wanted to get your thoughts on, just just maybe maybe one last little uh, uh, long-winded answer from you, because... I like the I liked how you worded it last time we we brought it up in in the interview that unfortunately didn't get recorded, um, but it, it was the this idea that that there isn't really a recipe like people a lot of times are looking for for a recipe, and in your in your book soccer starts at home or football starts at home, it it it's literally it's it's so simple, so what what would be your message to the people that are are looking for like some type of a of a recipe. Sure. I think what you're talking about, instead of calling it recipe, what I was saying is, is that, and this has taken me a while to get across to federations, associations, and people in the game, is that there's no set curriculum. I tell them, you know, it, it's like, well, there's got to be something. There's got to be a manual. There's got to be, you know, and I'm holding, I'm looking at my, if you see me, I'm gesturing with my fingers here, like, you know, <laughs> trying to show with, with my big thumb and my index finger, you know, like the, the, the measurement of like an inch. 
I wish I could <laughs> tell you I have an thick book on how to teach a three or four or five year old something, but it doesn't exist. But having said that, well, you're right. I mean, and that's a part that we have to address as well. And I think that's where maybe some people don't get it. Um, is that okay? Well, what what is what is it that you're teaching? So the best thing I can tell you is, and in the book, I mean, I I, I um, talk about it a little bit. I mean, if you were to go to our website or go to our YouTube page, you'll at least see some homemade video. I mean, everything you get with me is unfiltered. I think you know that already. I mean, I, I don't yeah. really sugarcoat <laughs> everything. I'm not. The, I might not be the most diplomatic, but I try to be. But the reality is, is that it's all out there. I mean, if you go to our website, you go to our YouTube, I've got videos of my kids since they're two, three years of age, all the way up until they're like nine, 10 and 11. And I'm showing, okay, well, what is it they do? And this is the, this is the proof of the whole pudding. This is the whole thing. This is the, the genius in the whole message because it's a simplicity. You're not talking about, you know, taking a kid out with a bull and whip and, 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 and doing drill after drill after drill. No, all I'm saying, and this also goes a little bit to my background because I used to work with the Curver group as well um, for many, many years. I have not now for probably eight to 10 years, but that definitely had an influence on me in both a positive and a negative way. So I, I understand the whole approach and I understand the controversy too of a guy like Will Curver, which in, which in Holland, you either love him or you hate him. There's no gray area. There's no gray area there. It's either you love the guy or you hate the guy, okay? And I think also, not to delve, you know, go off on tangent, but I have a feeling that this is also the reason of why there's such a controversy about this isolated training, because there's a certain school of thought in the Netherlands that despises Will Kerber, okay? So that's just a little bit of background. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother show we can talk about. <laughs> getting back to what I'm saying is, is that the basics are, is that can you get a kid to just control and pull the ball back with the right foot, left foot? Can you get him to dribble in a straight line and turn and change direction and come back in 180 degrees? Or can you get a kid to dribble in a straight line and use the sole of his foot, pull the ball back, and turn at a 90-degree angle? And the reality is it sounds really simplistic and it sounds kind of almost dumb, but if you can get a kid that can master those couple of things by the age of six or seven, the trajectory for the development completely shifts. It changes. Why? Because the kid is seeing that he's mastered something. So he's seeing that self-fulfillment. He or she is seeing that they're able to do something. They're able to control the ball. They're deriving more fun out of it. If they're deriving more and they're getting more fun out of it, then they're more likely that they're going to continue. They're going to practice more. The more they practice, the better they're going to get, the better that they get, the more fun they're going to have. It all circles back. And it all starts with something so silly and dumb as teaching a young kid the sheer basics. So that when he, gets, he or she gets thrown in to that collective environment, that they're able to do something. But the problem nowadays is that even when, even when you get the kid to cross over the line into organized play and he or she has some level of technical development, you're still sometimes not going to them use that in practice or in games because of the environment that they're thrown into that's why it's still very important that you have to run parallel to that and you have to ensure if you're a parent and you understand how to you know to get your kid to be competent enough that they're going to enjoy the sport that there has to be a certain degree of practice on your own away from the organized training because too many kids are in practices whether they're six seven eight nine or ten 
they're sitting around static, doing nothing, long lines, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, this isn't everywhere, but there's even, you know, there's, there's obviously coaches that are much more capable. But, again, it's a hit or a miss, depending upon where you live. It can depend upon the quality of the coaching that you have. So what I'm saying to parents is, is that don't expect that you're going to drop off little Johnny or Susie once a week or twice a week at a park and give them to another parent and expect that that kid is going to develop because it doesn't happen. And it's not just in America. It's in many countries in the world. And I give the story. My son crosses over that line into organized play. I've told the story a million times. In Japan, they start playing organized play, six years of age, first grade. He crosses over that line. There's 20 kids on his team. His entry level is at the top. He's the best kid from the get-go, from the first day, because he had a father, a parent that understood the importance of preparing the kid to learn those basics, like sending your kid to kindergarten or preschool, and they can count to 100, or they can do the alphabet, or they know that 2 plus 2 equals 4. That kid's going to thrive up against the kid that's starting from zero. So here, my son gets crosses over that line into organized play at six years of age, Head and shoulders is above everybody else. There's two or three other kids that are reasonably good. I find out later their parents or their fathers were players. There's that connection again. And then there's another 16 kids that have never played before on his team. Now, in Japan, they overtrain. They play. They train four times a week, 52 weeks a year. Um, they don't play other sports other than they can play in their own recreation, their own free time, like my boys do. And that's the other one you get hit on. Uh, well, you know, you're forcing your kid. No, you're not. Culture dictates what's going to happen. In Japan, there's no multi-sport culture here. Not in Japan, but in most of Asia. They play 52 weeks a year. It's not seasonable. It's not like when I grew up in New York. Okay, you play soccer, uh, American football, and you're on track and field. That's September, October, November. Then you transition into the winter, November, December, January. You have wrestling. You have basketball. You have volleyball. In the spring, you have tracks. I mean, that's the way America is. That's the culture. So that's how it dictate. That's how we dictate sports. You don't have that in other countries. You don't have that out here in Asia. You either play football or soccer, or you play baseball. That's it, man. Those are the two major sports. Okay. Now you know you can argue that, and that's a whole another conversation. But that's what it is. Can't change it. I'm not going to come in and change. You know, hundreds of years of tradition and culture here. But my kids do play other sports on a recreational basis. Um, so, you know, they say, oh, well, the kid, you can't be, the kid can't be specializing. Really? Well, that's what happens in other cultures. So, again, it's that kind of, you know, American, you know, our way is the only way of doing things. Um, but I hate to say it, but, you know, the rest of the world isn't on the exact same, you know, system that we are in the United States. So getting back to my story here, so my kid's playing four times a week. That's a lot of football practice. But what I'm saying is, and again, being able to connect the dots because it's my son, and that's why I throw the videos up. I'm not throwing videos up to show what kids can do that, that I don't have a connection to. So all the videos that you usually see that are out on Twitter are my kids. So I'm trying to show, okay, well, this is what he did when he was two years old. This is what he did when he was three years old. Oh, well, now he's, you know, 9, 10, 11. This is how he plays in the game, you know, connecting the dots and showing people. So I'm, I'm putting as much information out there, and I'm trying to help people to show them, okay, that isolated practice that he was doing in the living room when he was two or three, well, look, this is how it's kind of evolved to now he's four and five. And now, look, he's already joined a team now at six and seven, and this is how he's playing. And now, by the way, eight or nine. And now, wow, look at him now, 10 and 11. Boy, he's really good. And that's it. That's the only picture I'm trying to piece together to people.
So what I'm saying is, 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 is that, yeah, there's, there's no real, you know, silver bullet of, of way of a, of a, of a, um, of a content. Um, other than I can just tell you that the core basic skills of, of a, of a football player is stopping, starting, turning, changing direction with a, with a ball. Then you break it down into, okay, move to beat opponents, you know, one versus one. Okay. You've got, then again, stop and starts. You've got change. You've got, you've got, how do you take on a player that is facing you in front of you? How do you take on a player who's running alongside of you? How do you take on a player that is behind you? And here's the interesting takeaway. And here's where I changed my whole philosophy, or at least my outlook towards this whole idea of technical training, the Kerber method, or whatever you want to call it. The only thing that I taught my kids was only a couple of really basic movements. And it was really mastering the sole of the foot, pulling the ball back, stopping, starting transferring the ball from the right foot to the left foot. I never, ever insisted on my kids learning any scissor moves, step step over moves, double moves, triple moves. I never did. But what I found was, that once I taught them the real basics that were the most essential, like I just taught you, they figure out the rest. They figure out the rest. And a lot of the other pieces of the, of, of the puzzle of the game, uh, the first touch, uh, learning and understanding combination play. How do I involve my teammate? They're passing. They're receiving. That stuff just happens. That's, that, that's where... I say that in those countries where we, they develop the best players in the world, there's not, and this is where people get it wrong. I keep saying there's no specialized training going on. There's no some magic methodology or some kind of magic curriculum that's happening in these Latin countries that someone can pick up at the bookstore and say, oh, wow, let's go play the Barcelona way or let's go play the way that the Brazilian kids play or let's go play the way that the whatever country that you're you're trying to 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 kind of uh, emulate it doesn't exist man so that's my point where i keep saying there's no specialized training there's no specialized that i found i can't see anything that's happening with those very young age groups of like five six seven or eight that's happening in an organized fashion there is no curriculum but there's an understanding of the importance of technical development there's an understanding that the entry level or the entry point into the game should be the technical part and and what I'm saying is, is that you don't necessarily, you, you know, if someone, you know, from all the interviews that I do, if someone goes home or they meet someone or they try to explain what it is that they heard from me and they only give a, a kind of a story like, oh, wow, I heard about this guy, Tom Byer, the American guy. He says, you know, I put a couple balls in the living room and man, kids going to fight. That's going to that's going to fix American soccer. And you look like an idiot. <laughs> of course. So unless you have some degree of understanding that I think is pretty well laid out in the book, pretty laid out in a lot of these kind of, you know, interviews that I'm doing, there has to be a certain level of understanding. That's where that football culture comes in, man. That's the way that the, the pundits talk about the game when they're when they're when they're when they're commenting, uh, commentating on an MLS game or a U.S. national game. Or that's how I said the other day, someone said, well, you know, what does a football culture look like? And I said, well, here, here's an idea. Fly to Italy, take a taxi from the Rome airport to your hotel and engage the taxi driver into asking him why Italy <laughs> didn't qualify. And you'll see what a football culture is. Yeah. Okay. Because I have a feeling that the taxi driver or the, the person working in the favela 
down in Brazil and probably talk football tactics and systems better than a lot of the A or B or C or D licensed coaches that, that many countries have in the world. And that's the culture. It's the way that it's talked about. It's what's socially or culturally accepted or, or not accepted. You know, it's, you know, how do we talk about the game? How do we describe the game? What are the words that we use, you know, when we're talking about the game? How do we teach it? How do we, how do we, how do we, you know, process it? How do we watch it? I mean, just the com. I mean, it's just all of that. It's all that football culture, you know. And that's the part that I say a lot of it's missing. You know, you know, a lot of guys in in uh, in the United States on Twitter, especially. I know there's a whole group of people. Um, you know, they they take uh, a lot of issues with the media, but the reality is, is that the, the the U.S. soccer media is a product of the environment, man. It's the culture. It's the environment. It's not that these are like evil, bad people. It's that they're part of the culture of U.S. soccer. You know, I mean, you know, you, you, you're, you're talking about comparing other countries that have had, you know, hundreds of years of, of uh, experience. I mean, MLS, for God's sake, is just like just barely broke out of being a teenager. What was it, like 20 years old or something, 23 years old? You know, so, you know, and, and you tr we're trying to compare to what, like the La Liga or the Bundesliga or the Premier League? I mean, guys, these leagues have been going for 100 years, these guys. And we've got, you know, like one-fifth the time. So I know it's frustrating because, you know, people want, you know, people want things to move at a quicker pace, but they don't, you know. That's the reality of it. But, you know, I sometimes feel sorry for some of these journalist guys because, <laughs> you know, they're part of the system, man. I mean, if you look at also MLS, some, U.S. soccer, yeah, they're, 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 they're three peas in a pod. They're all, but that's the way that it had, you know, look, it's like in Japan here. I'm trying to, I'm going all over the place with this, <laughs> this last year, end of year podcast, probably for me and you. But I look at Japan, man. You know, people complain because in Japan, business, big business has been in bed with government in Japan for decades. Yeah, you know why? Because after World War II and the world, the, the country was devastated and flattened. Big business and government had to be in bed to be able to to rebuild the country. That's the reality. So that's a cultural thing. That's a history thing, you know. And it's still, you know, when you look over, and also in Korea, same thing. You know, I mean, so you know, different strokes for different folks, man. I mean, you can't really compare what's happening in certain countries. But I mean, I do understand that we should be holding people to a, a maybe you know a higher level of excellency, and hopefully, maybe someday the U.S. will get there. You know, they're obviously not getting there now, but it's a process. It has to take place. I mean, how lucky are we? You know, I mean, some people probably have a go at me for saying this, but how lucky are we that we even just have these forums to be able to vent our frustration about it? True. I mean, years ago, do you think do you think HBO television would have put a guy like me who's involved in grassroots football on television? Or do you think that Sports Illustrated would give me like, you know, an interview? like they've done, or the Time magazine would feature me in an, in an issue with two full pages. So, you know, it has evolved to some degree, but, you know, is it enough? Probably not. Are we satisfied with it? No. But, man, it, it is, it's, it's, you know, things have changed. Not like when I was a kid, where when I lived in New York, my, my dad, my dad had to go up on the roof and turn the, the antenna for our television, analog TV, so that we could try to pick up a New York Cosmos game. Or when I lived in Florida for a year, my, my, my under-12 coach, Norbert Mueller, who was a German, who 
whose family emigrated to, to St. Petersburg, put me in a car with some other friends, and we drove several hours down to Miami because there was a Latin community there, and he knew that the Spanish games and the games from South America were being shown on a black and white TV in the laundromat. <laughs> you know? You know, so, I mean, you got you to gotta make things relative, you know, and see, okay, well, where were we before? Where are we today? Where are we headed? You know, I mean, I'm not here to, I'm not trying to, you know, defend everything, all the different organizations in the States. But I think that, you know, we have to put it a little bit into context, you know, of, of where it is that we've been and, and where we are today. Absolutely. You know, we've got full, you know, so anyway. No, no, I, maybe I, for another show. I, I, I agree with with especially with something that you said uh just a few minutes ago is that the the media american media just it's a byproduct of the the soccer culture here and, and kind of what what exists of and, course and when you put it like that then it it, it makes sense and of yeah. course of course we could we could probably talk for hours and hours and hours about that but i i think that that is a I, very easy way to to kind of look at it is it, it's a byproduct of what the culture has been for the last 20 30 years maybe John, it's exactly what the culture, you know, again, what is a culture? It's what's socially or culturally acceptable or not acceptable. And the reality is, is that Americans have accepted the fact that all of our sports are franchises. That's it, man. That's it. I think if you got all of these people in a room by themselves and you ask them about the promotion and relegation, I, I would be very surprised if anybody disagreed. But the reality is, is that these I can tell you they don't disagree. Of, Okay, well, you might be right. You might be right. You might be right. You, you, well, there you go. You, you, you're telling me something of your experience, and, yeah. and I have to take you for, for what you're saying. But the point is is that, you know, anyway, that's a whole different show. You know? I know it's a hot <laughs> topic. To find. And, and to be very clear, of course, if, if I could push the magic button and say promotion relegation starts tomorrow, then I'd push that button, right? But I know the, I know the reality, and I know that, you know, it's an, an uphill battle. Will it ever happen? Probably, I think it will, but I don't know if it's going to be in, a, in my lifetime. That's for sure. But you know, anyway, that's a whole nother whole nother yeah. argument. Hey, Tom, <laughs> if if I could just make one more one more point or bring, sure. up, bring up one more thing um, yep. th that I think we've been advocates of for for quite a while, and if if I remember right, this might be why I I actually first tried to reach out to you in in I think sure. it might have been two years ago. And when we talk about yeah. culture, there's there's a dominating culture that is not soccer first, that is, you know, the byproduct of, you know, the American way. But there are small yeah. pockets of like true footballing culture in, in this country. And there's, you know, Latin American communities. And, you know, fo my, my, my dad raised me watching Croatian soccer. And there's, you know, yeah. whole you know, kind of like ethnic based leagues, like German leagues, Portuguese leagues and, and, and soccer first people that exist in this country that yeah. are in large part kind of left out of that conversation of, you know, there's no soccer culture yeah. in America. And so I think that's where I, I I think that's why, if I remember right, that's that's why I, I sure. initially tweeted at you a couple of years ago. Was like, hey Tom, like that yep. culture does yep. exist. It's just it's not sure. in the it's not under the spotlight, I guess. Yeah. Okay. No. No. Good point. Yeah. You're right. Fair enough. And I I remember that's what it was. And 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 I agree with you. I agree with you. But I guess where I where I, maybe there was a misunderstanding because now we've had lots of conversations and I've yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm more I I think you understand me and I understand you much more better. Right. That's obvious. But the point is, we've had that for years, though. I mean, you know, even yep. when I was growing up as a kid, 
Um, we we had those pockets. You know, I come from New York, man. I played in the Cosmopolitan League. You know, the Hungarians had a team, the Italians had a team, the Greeks had a team. I mean, this is nothing new. It's been around for ages. So I guess what I was say, what I'm saying is, is that when you look at the typical, when you look at U.S. soccer, well, well, who is that? Well, I think we're talking about that kind of, you know, the 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 typical suburban kid, yep. um, probably yep. the Caucasian white, you know middle-class family so that's what i'm talking about in that group the majority of people who play the game a majority of the people that are entrusted in controlling or at least not even controlling but at least um you know governing the the the, the game that's what i'm talking about the the, the 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 culture i don't believe there's a strong enough football culture in place yep. in the ex- existing structure that i define as you know who's running the game Yep. That's what I'm saying. So when you look at, like, for example, the college game, when you look at, you know, the, the youth game, when you look at the high school game, when you look at MLS, when you look at national team, that to me is the – that's basically the face of U.S. soccer. Now, not to say that, of course, in certain areas and neighborhoods you've got, you know, a lot of Latin kids or you've got, you know, you know whatever ethnicity that you want to talk about, ethnic group, right? I mean, they exist. I know that 100%. Um, but what, I, what I'm saying is is that – you know, that doesn't seem to it, – it's, it, it's, I don't even know if I'm going to explain it right, but what I'm saying is, is that there's a fine line drawn between, between those groups. Yep. Okay? So I, I hear the argument that everybody's making about, well, we've got a lot of kids that are good enough. They can't pay to play. They're not in organized football. They're not being considered by whether it's U.S. soccer or whoever the governing body is or the association that oversees, you know, like identifying potential elite players. They're not getting into the system. So I get all that. I understand that. And I, I, I'm not disagreeing with that at all. But the part, you know, I got to pick my fights. All right? I mean, I can't try to save everything. <laughs> I can't try to address every, every part of the game that's wrong in the United States. So I'm just trying to stick to what I see as a gross um, you know, miss in U.S. soccer or in a lot of countries. Because again, you got to remember, my reference isn't just U.S. I yeah. see it in China, I see it in Japan, I see it in Australia, I see it in many of the countries that I work in. So what I'm saying, the only thing that I'm trying to zero in on, out of everything that I've done over the 30 years I've been involved in the game, as whether I'm a technical coach, whether I organize commercial schools, whether I've created content whether I've gone around doing coaches' education, whether I've been an instructor on courses in national bodies or confederation, all I'm saying is that everything that I've seen and everything that I've been involved in, Tom Beyer, myself, the biggest area that I can make the biggest um, contribution, uh, you know, out of everything that I've seen, looking backwards again, connecting the dots, is that I see there's a massive gaping hole that if we can address that part of the game under six and the technical development and the engagement between the parents and the, and, and the kids before they cross over that line, to me, that's the biggest game changer that, that I can come up with, that I can contribute to the game. There's nothing else. There's nothing else. I've been in Japan. I've done over 2,000 events for half a million kids. I've been on TV over 3,000 shows every single day for 14 years. I mean, I've created content, DVDs, best-selling DVDs. I've written books that have sold out. And what I'm saying is, is that stuff that I just told you about is tiny in comparison to the impact that can now be done by understanding the technical skills and the development of them are more likely going to happen at home 
than they are through everything else that I just told you, watching DVDs, coming to my events, you know, coming to my school, coming to a camp, uh, reading a book, uh, any of that can all be, there's a shortcut that I see now where countries, not an incremental change, but a giant leap forward that can be done if they address that. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, man. And, and I think I, I, I 100% agree with what you said too, just a minute ago is that, in in that two year or three year time span that you and I have had a chance to interact with each other, we've we've learned a lot about each other's positions and and how we both see the game and and it's you've you've actually opened my eyes to to a lot of different things and and this being one of them that that zero to six or zero to eight year kind of that hole that missing hole is is a problem that not only exists here in the United States but yeah all over the world and it is and, and again, it's just it's a everything I've done up until now prepared me for what I'm doing today. You know, you know, when you get up on an age, and I'm quite a bit older than you. I'm 57 years old. You know, we have the old saying, you know, I got more yesterdays than tomorrows. <laughs> and but you, I'll tell you what, with what I'm doing with the under six thing now, this is why I'm so passionate about it, because I have many more tomorrows than I have yesterdays with this. There's no doubt about it, and that's what really keeps me going. And that's, that's why a really good way to look I, at it. Yeah, and that's why I have such a passion about it because I see this gaping hole. And again, I'm coming to these conclusions because I'm going around the world getting in front of the biggest organizations, club teams, and people in the game, and they're realizing it for the first time as well. So I'm, I'm, this is where my frame of reference, this is where I'm coming. This is my approach to the game now. As I'm telling you that I've gone around to some of these biggest clubs in the world and the biggest players in the world, and I've shown this presentation. I've had these same discussions that you and I have had. And again, not trying to pat myself on the back, but I will, is that they pat you on the back. They say, wow, you found something that nobody's thought about. And that's why I'm so, you know, I feel so passionate about what it is I'm saying. And I know that it's right for the game is because people are saying, go, go, go. Yeah, because this is a part that's missing. Can you imagine that all federations in the world, nobody really addresses anything below the age of six? That's crazy. And again, you know, why would and why would they, though? Because the kid hasn't even start playing yet. So they don't exist in the eyes of a federation. They don't exist. But the other thing is, is that they've gotten the science wrong. They've gotten the science wrong. They've gotten the science wrong of thinking that skill acquisition happens at a much older age. And that's going to take God knows how long. To, to, because, like I said, there's only a handful of countries that have a lock on coaches' education. So they're going around to all these other countries in the world. I won't mention any specific countries. I think you can draw some, you can draw some conclusions. But these guys are, 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 are basically going with outdated methods. And they're basically expanding this and trying to expand it all over the world of what these different phases of development are. You know? Yeah. And, you know, now I see, I see now because of the, own work, the only because I've seen the work that I've done with my own kids and I've taken the blinders off and realized, no, football, my kid's not going to be developed if he's like a five, six, seven-year-old unless I do something to kind of intervene to try to supplement what's not happening every time I drop him off at the park or the training ground for twice a week or three times a week. As I've seen now firsthand, I've seen kids that practice four times a week for six years straight from the ages of six to 12. And I've seen the lack of development that doesn't take place because the entry level and the foundation, the building blocks were not there in place before they went. 
Now, can you – of course you're going to have the outlier kids. So, you know, you have coaches say, oh, no, no, you can't say that. Every kid can – yeah, every kid can improve. But you're not going to improve – you're not going to make a top football player out of them, that's for sure. And, and, you know, why is that important? That's important because the kid will quit. So I can tell you this much right now. There's 20 kids on my, my boys' team. Um, in Japan, they go from uh, – the school year goes April to March. I can tell you right now that out of my son's team, 20 kids, after sixth grade, at least a minimum of 16 or 17 kids will quit. They will, won't play anymore. Finish. They're out. And why? Pretty obvious, man. They're not good enough. They don't have fun. They don't derive pressure out of it. Now, when you take a six-year-old or a five, six, seven-year-old, you put them out on a field, and they run around on a full-size pitch with a size five ball or a size four or three, and they don't touch the ball for the whole game, They'll still come off the pitch and they'll give mom and dad a high five, and they'll have, they'll they'll show unbelievable enthusiasm and, and fun. That happens until about seven or eight, and then it drops off, and then the kid realizes that they're useless and they can't do anything, or they've never learned the building blocks. So every time they get the ball, the ball is 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 basically taken off of them, stripped off of them, and they can't do anything. But now you get a little bit older, a little bit more commitment. Got to go practice not once a week. You got to go twice a week. You know, you yeah. practice a little longer now. It's an hour and a half, two hours. I mean, come on, guys. Just connect the dots. It's so simple. Of course the kid's going to drop out. So it that's is. it, John. Yeah, it is so simple. And I and I, I, I like the way that you that you approach the topics. And I like the fact that you, you are willing to be a broken record and you're not changing your story. It's the same thing. Every interview, every article, every tv special it's the same message and 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 i appreciate you actually being willing to kind of stick with it and and still you know hammer that point or these points home like it this is it's it's not rocket science i I had a i had a coffee a couple of weeks ago um with a top official from uefa that was here in tokyo he's a friend of mine and he said to me he said he said something similar he said you know what i love about you is that you're relentless. You 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 you're so persistent on Twitter. Yeah, because I'm hammering home the same thing, man. I'm talking about. I'm, I mean, I keep. It's like a broken record, but I keep saying it. But to be honest with you, I I I myself even am learning more things. So even when I get kind of the dummy questions, um, to be honest with you, I often get something out of it as well because it's it's. I'm seeing the reaction, and you know what? I'm sometimes even more determined to try to convince that person that I've never met before. It's almost, it's almost insanity. <laughs> I've never met a person on Twitter, but yet they have a go, but I spend an hour trying to convince them or I mail them my book because I just can't believe that someone doesn't get it. <laughs> you know, it's just for me, it's like, I, th- I feel like I must be failing. I must not be doing, doing a good enough job of explaining my position. I know the know? feeling. I know the feeling, man. So I know I'm the like feeling. Relentless about it. Yeah. You know? Hey, hey, so I, I have a question then. So you, you mail people sure. books. I had to buy your book. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's a, it's a mixed bag. What, what happens is what happens is, is that it depends. It, 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 I'm saying this because, you know, it, the, the, rea- the reality is, is that if, if I had – if I could give my book away for free, and, you know, when I say if I, you know, I've got a company, I've got board of directors, I've got other people behind me. You know, I mean, it's not just yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. It's me, the guy, that's the, the face of what we're doing. And I'm the guy, you know, that does all of the uh, the technical stuff. But I've got a company, right? I've got a commercial company and that's the reality of it. 
And um, if I could give that book, I've often thought about just because let me tell you this much. You don't make a lot of money selling books. Absolutely. Unless you're like unless you're like a president and you have a big story and, you know, uh, a big company publisher comes and gives you five million bucks up front because they want your story. But let me tell you, I've done four books. And I won't give up the day job just writing books. I'll tell you that. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. they're good because they're they're good, obviously, because you know it's content and it's my way of thinking. But there could come a time where we would just turn and just give that book away free online to anybody that wants it. I mean, that's the reality of it. But it's just a matter of timing of when. Um, I don't want but, I don't want uh, people to think that your book is like ultra expensive. It's it's actually super cheap. It's and not. It, well, and it, well, that's the a, other thing. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you're talking. I think it's about I think it's about ten bucks or something. I don't know what the, what the and one of the one of the challenges. Thanks for bringing up the book, but one of the challenges is is that we self published the book, so the stock is sitting in my office and at Amazon Japan. Those are the two <laughs> places that the stock sits. So what happens is if someone wants it, they've got to basically order it through. People don't know this; they don't publish books. But when you publish on Amazon. You can only hold the stock in the country that you've got your business set up in. Ah, I didn't so know that. there's no stock. So you can get on Amazon in the United States and you can order it, but that book is physically going to come from Japan, which means it's going to be a shipping cost. So I think there's probably two costs. There's the cheapy way, which takes, you know, it's a slow boat from China, or it's the, uh, it's the faster way that probably costs the same price as the book. But even if you, even if you go with the fast route and you buy the book, I think you're talking less than twenty dollars, and let me tell you. And again, not to not to shamelessly plug the book, but I think you're going to get a pretty good amount of information from ten bucks or twenty bucks of investment if you if you if you get the book. Absolutely. You know, so we're trying to work on on trying to figure out how we can we can make the book more accessible in the United States because I get inquiries about it on a daily basis, and we get actually clubs that want to order 100 or 200 books at a time for their, for their, for their teams and things. So, yeah. uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's the story on the book. <laughs> All right, man. Well, is there, is there any like last words you want to get out to the the listeners? I I'm, I'm hoping that we can get together at least once a year for a podcast when we're, we're on track right now for that since we snuck this in the tail end of 2017. So I, I would say, you know, the biggest thing is, is that, as we started out in the beginning of the conversation of the, the interview was that, you know, what are the frustrations? You know, if you really want to know more about what we do, I mean, you're going to get a pretty earful from listening to this podcast interview. Um, Cause that, there's definitely things that we talked about on this podcast that I haven't talked about in the past. Um, but then you can look back, you can just Google. There's just, Hey, I'm not hiding. As you know, I don't hide, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm if anything, I'm exposing myself probably too much to people. Um, which I get criticized on on that side as well that I'm too accessible, but I do that because I want you know I, I'm 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 putting something out there, and I want to stand behind it and I want to uh, clarify lots of things that people ask me. Um, so I am very accessible. But you know if you're going <laughs> to ask me a question, especially if it's a challenging question that you might not agree with, just make sure that you've done your homework because I think I've done my homework. And I, I'm, I I can talk about the book or I can talk about, you know, all these interviews that I've done or my experiences of going around the world. You know, there's not too many Americans that have been in, invited to Russia to sit on a panel discussion with the secretary general from FIFA. And again, I'm not saying that to brag, but I think it's important. People need to know what is my background? What what is it that I do when I'm not 
you know, typing away on Twitter or I'm not doing a podcast interview, you know, or, you know, last year, December 7th, when I was invited to present to nearly 50 technical directors in Geneva, um, you know, you, you, you want to you expose yourself. Well, let me tell you, that's not an easy thing. Or to sit in front of the, you know, head of the co- uh, coaches education department for Germany, the German FA, after they just won a World Cup in 2014 and present my ideas. Okay, or be invited into a club like Ajax to present to the academy director or to the Dutch Federation. So it's not like I'm sitting here and I'm hiding and I'm saying, you know, these are these are ideas and concepts and philosophies that I haven't put in front of people. No, I've exposed myself to a ridiculous amount of of uh, scrutiny from the best in the world, you know. So I think that's very important for people to understand um, when they challenge me and they think that I haven't put, I haven't thought deeply about this. Yeah, I have. Not not only have I thought deeply about it, I've gone to the biggest countries in the world and I've shown what my work is. And I'll tell you unequivocally right now, I have gotten nothing but positive feedback from all of these different groups that I just mentioned to you. So we must be doing something right, or we must be, you know, exposing or at least shining light on something that a lot of people have not thought about. Um, that they are thinking about now. And with that, I think we can more or less <laughs> say that uh, you know, that's the wrap. I mean, you know, that, that's the, the, the honesty. But I think, John, that a lot of people don't know that. And, you know, if I bring it up, they think, oh, he's showing off. Anything. No, no, this is what I do. This is what I've spent my life doing. Not around. Yeah. I've been in front of the, the English FA's technical director and presented. I've been in front of the, the chairman of St. George's Park in, 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 in England, which is probably one of the best you know, national training facilities in the world where Barcelona even does their training camp. I've been there the same time Barcelona has been there. So I'm saying these things again, not to try to show off or pat myself on the back, but these things are important when people want to challenge me and ask me questions and think that this hasn't been accepted by mainstream football. You know, I got you, man. I got you. Well, I, uh, I appreciate you spending more than an hour and a half now on the phone with me. And like I said, I hope we can get together at least once a year and, and record something, some of our thoughts together, because I think that would help us both. And I'd love to. I'd well, love definitely. To just... And, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, because we've been talking about it so much, I'm definitely going to make an effort and, and give you a promise that I will this next year um, travel to California and try to spend some time <laughs> with Gary and Brian, because I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated with their work and, and not, to, not, to, you know, not that they need a plug. But I can just tell you that I actually went through um, and I signed up for their newsletter. I signed up for their different modules of watching their videos and things. Um, And I can tell you, after someone who's done a lot of coaches' education, both as a student as an instructor, that you will learn more by watching one or two of their videos that you might learn on any full-time course. Because the, the one thing that I liked about what they're presenting is, again, it's simplicity, man. It's very simple. It's not a lot of, you know, complicated words. It makes sense. And it goes right directly to the heart of, of, of the game on, on, on how, to, how to develop, um, not just, you know, individual players, but develop teams as well. So I, I, I had to rethink as well because I, I hadn't done my homework on what these guys were doing. But when I did start to do my homework, I started to realize that they're doing a, a very good service. So that's, I'd just like to stick that in there. Well, I appreciate that, man. And I know that Gary and Brian will listen to this, and I, I won't tell them, so they're going to be hearing that for the first time when they listen to this. So I'm sure they're going to be stoked to hear it. 
And Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays and Happy New Year to everybody and all your listeners. Of course. All right, man. Well, I'll, uh, I'll catch up with you again soon then. All right. Thanks, John. Take care. All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. Big thank you to Tom Beyer for coming back on the show for a second time. And best of luck to Tom with everything that he's up to in Asia and Japan and China and here in the United States as well. Uh, Just a reminder, if you want links to all of Tom's work, you can find that in the write-up that is available at 343coaching.com. And one last reminder that this episode and all the 343 podcast episodes are brought to you by 343coaching.com and specifically the coaching education programs like you just heard Tom talk about that he signed up for. So you can find all of that plus more at 343coaching.com. All right. Thank you guys for listening. We appreciate you guys. And we will catch you next time here on the 343 Podcast.